0: Are you looking for a new kind of talk show? One that motivates and encourages you to follow your passions? Welcome to the Foxworth Theory with Eugenia Foxworth. You'll hear from a variety of guests from all walks of life. Now, here is your host, Eugenia Foxworth.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Foxworth Theory. I am Eugenia Foxworth, your host. This show is about arts, entertainment, business, and fashion. And we will be speaking to the movers and the shakers from around the world. And we are allowing them to tell their stories. Today, our guest is an amazing man. His name is Dr. Hassan Tata. And um, Dr. Tata, is a US Navy captain, an associate professor of surgery at the Uniform Services University of the Health Science, and an adjunct professor at Howard University College of Medicine. He was selected in a 2019 emerging leader in health medicine scholar by the national academy of medicine currently dr tata is a thoracic surgeon for MedStar health and walter reed national military medical center that is a mouthful welcome dr tata my listeners need you more today than ever given this pandemic welcome to the show and how are you and how is life treating
2: you? Ah, uh, life is good. Uh, thank you, Eugenia, for the kind introduction. You know, I have, uh, as many of us during this time of the pandemic, I think have and should have a new perspective on how we approach every new day. You know, as I do. So your question is very appropriate. One that I ask myself every day and help to frame appropriately by saying, "I am here. I'm healthy." And so your question engenders the response and an answer to your question of how I'm doing as I'm doing well, Eugenia, I'm doing well. I am, I am, I am resilient, I am healthy, I am safe. And in all of those ways, that makes this day a very good day.
1: A blessing.
2: <laughs> a blessing, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yes. So tell us, why did you become a doctor?
2: Ah, That's a that, uh, good question. It, it started long ago. Uh, my parents happen to be West African immigrant parents. And like many people who have immigrant parents, they come to this country with dreams and and desires for their children to do better than they did and to have the opportunities uh, uh, you know, that they may not have had back where they came from. So in my case, my mom, uh, who came here and labored in in the hospital as a nurse's aide and an assistant and my dad who did various different jobs both aspired to have me do something you know more than they had done and and the opportunity availed itself to to become a doctor uh when i asked a question one time as a young child to my mom and i said oh you know uh, after seeing one of our doctors i said hey, could i do something like that and she said absolutely and uh and it was really started from that sort of small seed that was planted if you will and then it blossomed and it was nurtured uh, like like many things are uh through parents and support and great teachers and and lots of friends that that sort of encouraged me along the way so and you know i think at the end of the day you know one of the things that has definitely motivated the entry into the profession is a desire a deep one to help people and to help others and no better way to do it than in healthcare
1: and that takes a very special person and someone who is caring. And also, as they say, that old cliche, it takes a village. And that village just did everything they could for you. And it shows from what I, what I have seen and read about you. So now, back to today. Back to today. How has COVID changed? how the medical field functions on a day-to-day basis.
2: Yeah, wow, that is a, that is a very good question. It's a, it's, a, it's a very heavy question. You know, how has medicine, how is healthcare, how has our day-to-day experience in healthcare changed because of COVID? I would say that it has changed in every way imaginable uh, from every aspect in every dimension. Uh, some for the good, some for the bad, some just indifferently, and it just is a change. Um, You know, maybe be a bit more specific about that. Certainly when the pandemic sort of embraced us here in the States, if you want to think back to the early part of 2020, uh, there were some medical facilities that were prepared and actually anticipating what was happening. then there were others that were totally unprepared. And certainly the general population, um, I think, you know, was a bit surprised. If you think to yourself, uh, any one of your listeners now, what you had planned in January 2020 for the year ahead, you had a whole schedule. You know, calendar was probably booked up to September, maybe even December if you were really industrious. And and certainly when, you know, the middle of March and early April rolled around and certainly by the time late spring came, you know, many of those plans had just uh, evaporated. Well, the same happened in healthcare. You know, people have elective procedures scheduled. People have appointments scheduled. Uh, people just have routine visits scheduled. And believe it or not, a lot of those things were canceled. And 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 you know, both from the facility standpoint, but also from patients, just the fear of having to go out in the midst of a pandemic. So you can imagine the impact and the ripple that has had on healthcare in general. Delayed diagnoses deferred care, um, patients that have, you know, unfortunately suffered or had an advancement of their disease or condition that went untreated because they were unable or unwilling to access the healthcare system. And even today, you can see, depending on the region that you're in and depending on the cases and the volume of COVID cases that are draining the resources or taxing the resources of a hospital, there may not be an opportunity for that hospital to do anything other than just treat COVID patients. So I think in many ways, in every dimension, you know, and from many angles, COVID has absolutely fundamentally changed the landscape of healthcare. Um, but let me shine a little bit of a bright light on some of things because okay. you know, I, don't want it, I don't want it to be too much of a Debbie Downer, especially because we are about the arts and entertainment and uplifting and those things that are inspirational. And one of the things that I would say has been particularly inspirational Um, from a side effect, if you will, or, or an aftermath or a consequence of COVID is the fact that we have become very ingenious in how we now deliver care to patients. It was things that we were thinking about, things that we knew we could do, but there needed to be a forcing function per se. And what I mean by that is if you think about the advances that we've had in telehealth. So we are having this Zoom conversation right now and, and you know it's, we're not meeting in person as we probably would have done otherwise. Well, this, it, this interaction, this ability that we have to still connect, although it's virtual, we still have a connection. We're still exchanging information. We're still hopefully inspiring each other. We're still encouraging each other. We're still learning from each other. So if you take this forum and you apply it to the delivery of healthcare, you can see how invaluable this could actually be. In fact, it could be a lot more intimate and more fruitful engagement with your healthcare provider, whether that's a nurse, a physician assistant, or the doctor themselves. I think patients are probably a bit more comfortable and the doctors may have a lot more space and time to sort of listen and gather the information so that they can accurately assess what's really the problem for the patient and potentially deliver even a better course of treatment or outcome for the problem that they're seeking care for. So that I think is something that is going to be here to stay. And if you think about some of the infirmed folks or those folks that are really, it's a challenge for them to get to the hospital, to get to see the doctor, but if they have, the means and the, and the wherewithal and the ability to just click a button and, and, and within the comfort of their own home, still seek the care, still get the help that they need, and still feel good after that encounter, then that's a good thing all around. And then I'll just extrapolate a little bit more and say that this is also a very important forum for addressing behavioral health issues. Because folks that are struggling, and many of us are, especially during this time of the pandemic, need some safety, right? We need some security to really be able to share with others, especially other professionals, professional behavioral health uh, individuals, what's really ailing us. And they may be more comfortable, believe it or not. We have studies to show this. I may be more comfortable sharing with you over this forum than I would be in person. And now as you, the provider of care, the behavioral health professional, you can now start to really understand at a much more deeper, significant, you know, sort of rudimentary root cause of what could really be the issue. And now we can start working toward that solution together in, in a much more comfortable environment for both people. So I think there is some benefit. And, and you know, those are certainly some highlights of things that I think have, have been good things that have happened because of COVID, because it's accelerated this format of delivering care.
1: So basically, we are now doing the remote doctors that used to go from town to town, patient to patient.
2: Correct. Yes, that's right. So it's not even a deviation too far from where we really started from, right? You are absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the traditional practice Mm of health here and it's very early beginnings, the doctor, you know, had their bag and they they went from home to home, right? Yes. And now sort of come back to that full circle in some ways, because now I can go to the home, so to speak, in a virtual way and and still engage and interact. And then it was only after some time where we built bigger and bigger facilities that people were now having to come to the hospital, but yeah, this is a this is a model that had existed before, and now we've sort of advanced, and the the format is a little bit different. Uh, but you know, the principles all be the same.
1: Thank you so much. Now, how has the medical field supported your safety and well being while you have been on the front line trying to save others?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. I would say that uh, they've done an overall good job. It's a uh, but it was a process that evolved. (laughs) Let me give you some examples. So very early on, I'm a thoracic surgeon. So my specialty is heart and lung surgery. Uh, And, you know, the patients that we were seeing for COVID initially were uh, unfortunately, regrettably, patients that were having uh, complications related to COVID. So these were patients that of course the COVID you know, disproportionately sort of impacts the lungs and the respiratory system. So the lungs were damaged and folks would have to go on a ventilator and the ventilator would cause barotrauma. So these lungs would be damaged and there would be air trapped between the lung and the chest wall. And they would call, you know, surgeons like myself and others to sort of address these problems and sometimes intervene on their behalf. So we were seeing patients that were really experiencing sort of the really bad, complications related to COVID. So what I'm getting at is we've seen very sick patients and in the very initial, you know, sort of months of treating COVID patients, there was not a lot known and we were doing everything. We're gowning everything and and doing a lot of personal protective equipment and, and all of that needed to sort of be at our disposal. But as you remember and recall, there was a lot of supply issue chain, you know, challenges Mm -hmm. and and we didn't have, you know, uh, an abundance of some of these supplies that we really needed to be protected and to feel safe. So there was an allocation of, you know, those resources, those very scarce resources to those individuals that would be having this sort of maximal contact with the COVID patients so that they can be protected very well. And some facilities do very well with that. But we also had some time and period where we were having to catch up with the policies and the instructions, right, to educate the healthcare provider as to what is appropriate and what is not appropriate and that took time just like everything else to sort of come together but i will tell you now we're yeah i think very sophisticated in terms of how we screen how we protect the patients and also how we protect more importantly sometimes our workers that are taking care of these patients because we definitely need them to be able to deliver the care and the and the and the support to the to the patients that are desperately in need
1: and that leads me to uh, my another question. You know, it says, "Could you describe to our listeners the challenges you and your colleagues have had to withstand through some of the most critical times during the pandemic?" I mean, you've answered most of it, but just yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I think I think early on that uncertainty and not knowing, you know, what was happening. And, you know, to some extent, I mean, that still exists. I think, especially if you think about and consider the impact the Delta variant has had, you know, a lot of people have heard of this Delta variant and may not know what that, what it is and how, what does that mean? Well, you know, in short viruses are, 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 you know, they, they are a biologic organism. So just like everyone else, they want to survive. Right. And, and how do you survive? You adapt, you know, you become resilient. And so, that's how we get variants in bacteria. That's how we get variants in viruses. And that's what we're seeing. And with the Delta variant, Uh, but that notwithstanding, you know, what we had to endure were, you know, many of the things that I already mentioned, you know, a shortage of supplies, which I think is much better now, safety precautions sort of being adhered to, uh, now we have a lot more standardized protocols in place because we've been living with this, we've been learning about it and we've now become accustomed to what it takes to keep people safe and we've adapted. And so now things are sort of second nature, you know, and, and that's, that's a good thing, you know. Um, it's an inconvenience in some ways, but it's also a good thing because ultimately we need to sort of adapt because this is what we will be living with and, and dealing with for some time. Uh, and so those are the things that have happened. I think, uh, writ large, we have, you know, like, like all organisms and and humans are are very resilient people. We've adapted and and we've, uh, we've adjusted and we've learned along the way.
1: Thank you. Now, is there something you would like to say to the public in reference to the vaccinations and testing for COVID-19?
2: Yeah, I, I would say that, uh. This is a topic that has engendered a lot of angst and anxiety and and sometimes, quite frankly, a little bit of unrest or unsettling if you don't, you know, you hear a lot of things and and you may not know. I think one of the first things to do is to find a trusted healthcare provider, one that you really have uh, had a connection with in the past for some other problem and, and ask them, you know, because I think what Every individual needs, and I'm one of these uh, folks because I have been a patient myself, uh, and I appreciate how important it is to personalize the care that's being delivered to an individual to that particular person's state of being, their circumstance, and their situation. And so everybody is a unique individual. And because they're a unique individual, they deserve and require a personalized approach to the care that they're going to receive. So I think it's, it's sometimes um, an error to just make a blanket statement for everyone that this will apply for them. And whether that's the vaccine, how your personal protection is, is being adhered to what you're doing from social distancing and sort of sheltering in place and all these things. There, there are a myriad of circumstances as well as personal situations that, you know, require that someone takes an accounting of all of that when they're deciding how to keep safe. And that's why, you know, the answer to your question, I think that the best thing to do, if at all possible, is to seek out a healthcare provider that you have had in the past that have helped you through a challenging situation and someone that you trust, someone that you respect and someone that you can partner with so that you can determine what the best course of action is for you, whether you've been vaccinated and then you've been, you know, fully vaccinated, and now you're contemplating potentially a booster shot or for whatever your particular situation was or reason for not being vaccinated, then work through that as well so that you can keep yourself safe during this very... You know, challenging time and difficult time, and and then you know everything in between that spectrum. You know, people that have been infected, and then they they got better. Or people that are dealing with some of the so-called long COVID situations and syndromes that we've been hearing about, or people that have been infected after vaccination. So you see, there's a whole spectrum of different circumstances that one is living with, and so the 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 advice I would give is to seek out a healthcare professional that you trust. And one that can give you good information, if you don't have that at your disposal, then seek out a new person that you can develop that bond with and, and, and seek out someone that you can develop a connection with so that you can get some assistance and support. Because this is very complicated and I think people um, are all learning about how to best address this together. Uh, but you need to partner. You know, it's one of my tenets of principles is, is is partnerships. I think partnerships are very important, especially when you partner with people that have the expertise, the know-how, and the experience to help you through a particular problem like, like we have right now.
1: Well, I agree. I partnered with my internist whose wife has the same belief that I do. I mean, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Anyone who knows me knows that if I went to get a needle, that it's important because I I'm homeopathic. I, you know, I've always, I mean, I don't recall getting a uh, shot for, um, uh, you know, the flu shot as an adult, I was there in line. I mean, I tried everywhere and I got it. So I do agree. If you know someone and you partner with that person It's ideal. Now, um, do you feel the government and powers, I'm sorry, but I have to ask, are handling the pandemic correctly?
2: I think everyone is doing the best that they can. You know, the the issue with pandemics is that they happen, you know, if you look at the course of humankind and, and recorded history for that matter, you know, this is not a new thing. I actually write about this, and, and I did quite a bit of research in, in pandemics prior to this pandemic happening. So, when it did occur, for me as a, as a sort of a, a pupil and a student of, of medical history, it was fascinating to see how many parallels have occurred with this pandemic and others that we faced in humankind centuries ago. And and so if you think about this phenomena happening every eighty to hundred years, right? uh, That is really probably a once in a generation situation. So unlike like the flu, where we see it every year and people get used to it, and like oh okay the flu, I'll get a you know I I know what the flu is. I just got to take precautions. You know when the pandemic hits, and and typically it's a new infectious you know vector. In this case, it's a virus. it, it takes everyone some time to understand and appreciate what needs to be done to address it appropriately, especially at a population level, at, a, at, at scale, right? And, and so when you talk about what is the government doing, the government has but so much control and, and but so much influence on what's happening you know they try their best and, and and fortunately you know we have over over centuries now developed what i would say is a foundation of public health which is which is really good and and always linked in some ways to local state municipal and also, also federal governments and we have in place you know these institutions that are really doing their best to help give information to these leaders in government to sort of make the best um, suggestions and and policies to help us through this time. Um, so, if you think about that from a, from a holistic standpoint, uh, the fact that we're able to develop a vaccine, which you you were able to you know take advantage of in such a short period of time, is a consequence of government and leadership. You know, and and that's actually a good thing um, because it's with the vaccines that we've been able to endure as a, as, a, as as a human species over all these years and and sort of fight back some diseases that were really very devastating, you know, polio, uh, you know, rubella, all of these things that, you know, had it not been for vaccines, we would still be dealing with. Um, So I think there there is limitations on government. I think that's what people, um, I think, should appreciate. Limitations that are both good and bad. You know, there's only but so much that the government can do. There's only but so much the government can really control. And I can tell you that, you know, as a, as a practicing physician, you know, there's not an individual or a government that can control a virus. <laughs> it's just that viruses are going to do what viruses do. You know, they are going to spread. Um, infections are going to do what infections do. What we can do as a public and as a government and as an individual and as community is work together to sort of address and curtail the problem as best as we can and save as many lives as we can and prevent as many you know, diseases as we can and prevent as many infections as we can. Um, and that, that really is going to take, you know, the, the work of everyone, you know, I, I will just end with this one last part, you know, because it, it, it's, it's necessary to say, but it may be obvious, but it's not often obvious, you know, the government starts at least here in our country. And if you think about the preamble of our constitution, it says, we, the people, <laughs> so yes. when, when people say the government, they make it sound like it's this foreign entity that's some kind of like alien thing. Well, you as an individual that has rights as a citizen are part of the government. Believe it or not, you have elected these folks. You have empowered these folks. So when you say the government and think of it as some abstract thing that can't, you know, be influenced, that can't be uh, you know, reasoned with or can't be informed, I think that's a, a derelict of, of duty as a citizen, because you have the power to make, you know, a complaint, if you will. Think about your local municipality No one picks up the trash in your neighborhood. You're going to figure out who's the public official so you can go complain, right? So I think at every level of government, people understandably need to appreciate that we, the people are the government, you know, whether we are the elected official or not, we are the people that elect the officials, and we are the people that can inform our government officials. And we are the people that can influence the government officials by our actions in voting, activism, and the things that we do. And you, you saw evidence of that, right, throughout the summer of last year, and and, and you're continuing to see it every day. So, I, I think I think people need to understand that you know, one of the greatest responsibilities of citizens, you know, being a citizen is being, you know, being active in, in the government and then not thinking that it's this thing that just does something to you or, or you can't, you can't really, you know, influence in any way.
1: You know, I totally agree. And that's something that I'm somewhat of a laid back radical or as the former dean at St. John the Divine said, it's good that I'm in the background because they would be throwing cinder blocks at me. Be careful, they'll be throwing cinder blocks at you too. <laughs> no. But no, I truly believe, and, 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 and that is a fact. And I think that is something that people should understand. Now, the one thing that I would like to say now dr tata is that we have to take a break and um the information was so important but we will be right back to the uh foxworth theory i am your host eugenia foxworth please stay tuned
0: COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective. Millions of doses have already been given in the United States, and these vaccines have the most intensive safety monitoring in U.S. history. If you have questions, get answers from a reliable source. CDC.gov The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Foxworth Theory with Eugenia Foxworth. Now, back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. And if you're just joining us, you are now tuned into The Foxworth Theory. I'm your host, Eugenia Foxworth. And we have one of the most interesting guests, Dr. Hassan Teta. Now, welcome back, Dr. Teta. Thank you. If you thank you. <laughs> if you could change anything that we're doing now in our communities concerning the pandemic, what would it be?
2: Uh, not have the virus exist? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, in, in seriousness, I you know that's a very good question. If I could change one thing, I think um, you know, it's important to understand and appreciate, again, I, you know, in the a, in a previous segment, I talked about being this uh, student of the pandemic, this pandemic, of course, and mm-hmm. previous pandemics. I, I think the one thing that I would change, if I could, is a, uh, a conveyance of a perspective that everyone should have. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, this is a very challenging time. There's no question, right? It has impacted the world in 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 both in both very you know difficult and challenging ways, right? You know, no matter where you are in the world, this has been disruptive to you. The one thing that I, I would like to change if possible is to help people understand how they should perceive what's happening though. And what I mean by that is not not in a conspiracy way or anything like that, but just for their own personal edification and think about and and you would really appreciate this, think about this moment that we are experiencing as a once in a lifetime moment, the pandemic, and focus on how you are going to evolve as an individual during this time. And everyone has been given, to some degree or not, the time and space to think about that, right? Whether you've been impacted by it, by losing a family member, being sick yourself, being concerned and, and afraid of being sick, or watching everything on the news and thinking to yourself, you started the program and the, and the and engagement today by asking me, how am I doing, right? And that was a very deliberate question, I'm sure. It was. And my, and my answer was very deliberate as well. And that's how I would come back to answering this question about what is it that I would like to change? And that is the perspective that people have for this moment in time that we're experiencing that I think they should look at this as an opportunity, an opportunity to evolve. And people have done that by circumstance. Some people have done it intentionally and some people have had to do it just because of design. So if you think about the fact that you are here and you're living through a moment where there's a lot of danger, there's a lot of angst, and there's a lot of concern, but you're still alive and you have your health, think about how you can now reimagine and sort of reinvent yourself in a way, you know, whether you lost your job or you still have your job. Now that you're at home and you have a little bit more time to think about what it is that you critically wanted to do in life, this would be the time to sort of think to yourself, all right, what are the steps? What are the the things I'm going to put in action and in motion to make that happen? You know, and that's a counterintuitive way to think about things, right? Because you can certainly sit in your, in your home or wherever you happen to be and be in this woe is me sort of mentality, which won't be very helpful for you, certainly not helpful for your family or your friends and not helpful for society either. Or you can think to yourself, hey, wait a minute. I've survived. I'm healthy. Or even if I've survived and I've overcome being sick. I'm still here, right? And now is my opportunity to make the most of what life I have ahead of me. If nothing else, you should should think about this, especially here in the States for us, that there are over a million people who are no longer with us right now because of COVID. And I lost family members. I've seen patients that have passed away. So each day reminds me that the fact that I'm still here and I'm above ground and I'm living. Eugenia, that's my moment, that's my time to now say, hey, let's not waste today thinking about what's going on, but let's use this moment, let's use this time, let's use this experience right now to grow and evolve and to think critically about what is it that I wanted to do in life that I've been putting off? What is it that I wanted to share with a loved one that I never shared with them before? What is it that I want to do to take my relationships to the next level? What is it that I want to do to take my professional self to the next level? What is it that I want to do to become the best version of myself? Like use that time and, and take this, all of this experience as a way to appreciate the, the moment in time that we're living in, you know, and, 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 and evolve from it. So that's the one thing that I would like to change in, in you know, with this whole thing is, is the mindset of how we're experiencing this time. And then I'm going to and, and then I, I just want to give a little bit of context, and you might say, well, this doctor sounds a little wacky. Why is he talking about this? How could I think about all these great things when so much bad things are happening? And that is because you have to understand that humans are very resilient. We are a powerful people, and we overcome many things. This is not the first time we've had a pandemic. It won't be the last, Eugenia. But if you look at what happens after pandemics and you look at humankind, and how we evolve outside of pandemics, great things have come out, great art has come out, great technology, great innovation has come and emerged from pandemics. You look back to what we call the roaring 20s. That was after the Spanish flu. There's so many reasons for why there was this industry, this great growth, this great productivity after that time because there was was this pent up desire for people like now to say to themselves, wait a minute, I'm still alive. I'm I have an opportunity to make the best of the rest of my life. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to take advantage of that. Let's go back centuries before that to the Black Plague. That was a devastating time in history. Do you know what came out of that? The Renaissance. Think about what great art came from that, great literature, and how that evolved and influenced everything that we're doing today. So I hope that answered your question, but that's the way I would that's the one thing I'd like to change is the perspective and to reframe how we think about what's happening to us during this moment in time and understand that this has happened before. It will happen again, uh, but take confidence and solace and faith that humans are resilient people. We are a powerful people and we have the ability to take circumstances that may seem very challenging and, and, and hard and, chal- and difficult and, and turn them around to make them better for ourselves and and, and ultimately for society at large.
1: You are speaking to the choir because I too have pivoted. And when I say to people, you know, it's a a terrible time. However, I'm making the most of it in a manner in which I can do things, not just for others, but for myself. And, you know, it's like looking within yourself and what you're saying. You are really an amazing man. And my listeners will now, I know, 100% agree. But I do appreciate what you are saying. And it is so true. And and I believe that that's what everybody should um, think about. You know, you can't put off today or tomorrow. I'm sorry. You can't put off today for tomorrow tomorrow. Um, I lost a friend and I kept putting off, putting off. And, but we had time to talk Mm. before he got COVID. He got Mm. COVID after he went to the hospital for something else. So Mm. I know, I know this. I don't feel guilty because that person's here, but also for myself, you never know what's going to happen. Now it's all about you. You are well educated. We all know that, and you have studied at the State University of New York. What was that part of your life like growing up?
2: <laughs> it was. It was. It was foundational. It was. It was. It was. Uh, it was life changing. I, I mean, that's quite frankly what it is. You know, I think people have this cliche of saying, "Oh, education is it, it changes your life." It really does. It gives you. Uh, I think what I would say, opportunities that you would otherwise not have. And for me, uh, I've always loved learning. And, and so my first sort of university level experience of learning came at the State University of New York, you know, a, a small little arts and science college in Plattsburgh. And then I had the great fortune of going to a medical school also within the SUNY system. So the State University of New York is, has been a, a great Ah, uh, provider of education for me, and and something that has given me a foundation upon which to build upon, and 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 get other, you know, educational experiences under my belt. But it's really at the end of the day opened up the world to me and doors of opportunity, and and I always encourage anyone that's even has an inkling of of taking the next step in whatever their educational. Career is, you know, whether you're going from, you know, middle school to high school, high school to college, you know, uh, high school to community college, high school to trade school. Learning is what we need as humans to grow and to evolve and to become better versions of ourselves. If you're not learning, then none of that is happening. You don't always have to do it within the institutions of colleges and schools. You can learn within a library. You can learn by picking up a book. You can learn by listening to this conversation right now, but you have to be open to that. Um, so it's a long winded way of of answering your question, but, uh, you also are asking someone who loves school. So (laughs) I'm going to always say that all day long. I love learning.
1: And I'm also learning a lot myself and you're a very positive person, which I am as well. Um, um, it's it's just I'm probably enjoying it as much or more than um, my listeners. No reflection on the listeners because I don't know who's out there, but I'm enjoying it. So this has been a selfish conversation. Now, what do you miss most about those days?
2: Oh, the days of of learning. Why don't miss being Mike? at the university? Oh, being at the university. Well, I, I yeah. guess the com- I guess the camaraderie. Because I will say that some of my best friends in life were 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 made in, at school. You know, whether it was college or grad school or med school, um, the friends that I have to this day have been friends that I've met and encountered in some sort of educational environment. I have friends still from high school. In fact, I was just having a text exchange with one of my friends from high school. And and so if you think about high school, for me, it was decades ago. It's been the school or schools, and and certainly universities among them, that gives the environment and the community to develop these very long-lasting, very special relationships that are are lifelong and and life-changing in in, in every way.
1: And that is definite. That is definite. Uh, Now was your father and mother supportive of you becoming a doctor? I know your mother was from what you said initially, but what yeah. about your father?
2: Well, well, yes, he was in in his own way, you know, my dad was a bit of a stoic person, so he was a man of of little words, he didn't say a lot, but his actions and the and the and the times where he did speak were were very impactful and also very influential. You know, it's not lost on me that I know that you in, in in your own way, you're an artist, you know, you espouse the arts and you bring that to life in what you do and your work. And when I was leaving high school and going to, um, actually before I even got to, to the university and before I even came to, you know, be in my high school, I uh, considered myself an artist and I would paint and I would draw and I did graffiti art uh, primarily back then. And I got into a very prestigious high school for art. And I went to my dad and I said, hey, I want to go to this art school. And he said, you're not going to art school. You're going to science and engineering school because you're going to be a doctor. (laughs) So, you know, that was, you know, that was a way of influencing or sort of like, you know, directing me a certain way. Now, I've never left or abandoned the love that I have of art. That, That is still part of my DNA. I bring it to my practice of of healthcare. Uh, but, yeah, certainly I think both of my parents wanted me to realize uh, my potential. And, and once I expressed to them that I wanted to be a physician, they they made it possible, I think, by the encouragement to to see that, you know, be, you know, made to reality or come to reality, I should say. So, um, yeah, they both were very, you know, very influential. And I think, uh, you know, my dad, unfortunately, is passed now. He, he actually passed away after I graduated from med school, so many years ago now. I think, but his illness and his, his me seeing him suffer through chronic illnesses, you know, only emboldened and sort of empowered me even more to want to, you know, do it even more, you know, when I say do it, become a doctor, even, even more, it was a more, it was a more powerful burning desire because I wanted to be able to help others um, as I saw him suffering and, and not necessarily thriving, you know?
1: And I can understand that. Now, I know you mentioned your mother and father. You didn't mention any siblings. Are you from a small or a large family?
2: I would say, well, I think a lot of West African families are fairly large. So yes, I have lots of siblings. I have, uh, I have a fairly large family. Yeah, and you know, absolutely, like every, I think family, uh, there are all kinds of dynamics. For the most part, I am very fortunate and blessed that I've, I've been able to be supported by my family. My family members have, uh, have contributed immensely to my life. And, and I've been now fortunate to have my own family, you know, in, in terms of my wife and my children that are now growing up and, and they have, you know, I have, I have, I have a, a son and a daughter, so they'll be growing up with, with the, you know, their sibling rivalry, but also their sibling love, you know, for the, for the rest of their life. And I think that that's a, that's a great thing to, to see. Um, and, and sort of, you know, be a part of the cycle of life here is, is, a, is a good thing.
1: Thank you. I live vicariously through everyone. Though my parents were divorced uh, when I was five months old, I have no siblings. So I just attach myself to families and I enjoy that. So I have a variety. Now, you are also the founder and principal of TETA Consulting Group. I'm curious as to what that is now that you've had this entire conversation. Could you tell our audience about the, the Teta Group and how did this come about?
2: Yeah, well, I it can tell you how it came about. When I was in business school, one of our projects was we had to start a company, so that was the company I started. <laughs> was way, way so it was very simple. That's how that came about. We, we had a project. It was like you had to start a company. That was the company I started. But what it has become uh, actually is uh, a, a number of things. First and foremost, it's a consulting group, and and you know if you've been Engage with any consultants. You know the consultants consult, and you might say, "Well, what is that?" Well, they help individuals achieve their goals. I think essentially, if you think about any consultant, that's their role. Whether you're, you know, sort of a a, a consultant in healthcare or you're a consultant in business, you're helping your clients achieve their goals, and that's fundamentally what teleconsulting's Consulting's principle and sort of operas, uh, modus operanda is. That's our MO, is to help people achieve their goals. Now, it happens to be usually in the domain and the sector of healthcare, uh, and over the years, what I've done is I've given speeches, I've given lectures, all to help educate folks within the healthcare community on how they may achieve their goals, and actually sometimes how they may help formulate their goals. Uh, and that's evolved into writing and to books and to, uh, as I mentioned, lecture series and actual one on one coaching with individuals that that, uh, you know, need or are seeking uh, some direction in terms of how they can sort of list their priorities and then get after the action steps that they need to fulfill those objectives and, and achieve those goals. So that's in that's in a nutshell what it is, and it's now now it's evolved into many things. A publishing company. Uh, we provide uh, services to to folks. Uh, we again, you know, educate individuals and communities, and 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 actually even have one on one engagements with uh, you know very influential leaders. So uh, it's been a very rewarding, uh, very rewarding uh, endeavor. At the end of the day, we're really here to help people.
1: But that's what you are all about. Now, uh, you are the author of the Art of Human Care Book Series. You practically answered the question. Okay. I was gonna you know, say, well, okay, tell me about all these books you've written. You yeah. know, you're a best-selling author of several books. Gifts of the Heart, Star Patrol, and the Art of Human Care. I feel dumb asking you. Where does this passion come from? You've said it all, but yeah, there may be something that we've missed.
2: I think I think you said it all. I think it's all a matter of serving, and you know I've had, you know, a goal. I think throughout my life to teach, uh, to heal, mm-hmm. to serve, and to lead, and and all the writings and, and the books and and and. Uh, You know, the things that we do or I do, I would say, sort of on a on a day-to-day basis are all aligned with those objectives and goals.
1: Okay, now this is my last question, Dr. Tata. What do you want people to know most about you and your mission to help save lives?
2: Well, I think uh, it's definitely been espoused in different ways throughout the time we've been talking here. I think what I would like people to know is that uh, my, you know, greatest desire is to be an inspiration to others uh, and help them to realize their own goals in life. Uh, and I want uh, you know the things that I do, the work that I do, the writings that I that I that I, I, I put out uh, to be informative, to give information to individuals and to help them uh, in a way that sparks something within them to say, ah, I, 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 see, I see a way for me to prioritize my own goals and I see a way for me to achieve those goals. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, I'd like to be um, uh, a catalyst uh, for people uh, getting to where they want to be <laughs> in life. Uh, because I think in that way, it's, it's a very rewarding experience. And it's a way that you can say with, with great confidence when you look back on, 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 on your life that, you know, you made a difference.
1: And you have done so. And you've made a difference for our audience and for me as well. And I'm sure that they, you're all over the Internet so our audience can Google you and follow you as I have done recently. And I would like to thank you, Dr. Hassan Tata, for being on the show. And I want to thank all of our, our audience for joining us on the Foxworth Theory, which airs every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Harlem America Digital Network and the Voice America Variety Channel. Thank you all very much. Travel safely. Be well.
2: Thank you, Gina.
1: Thank you.
3: It can be accompanied by laughter or tears. It can celebrate victory or comfort defeat. It can make you feel weak or strong. A hug is the most basic thing we do to feel connected. And we never knew how much we relied on it until we couldn't do it anymore. We were forced to keep our loved ones at arm's length, but now there's hope. And you, the frontline workers of CVS Health, you are the people who are going to deliver that hope. Because with every appointment you confirm, every line you facilitate, every vaccination you provide, You are bringing an end to the greatest health crisis in our lifetime. You are bringing people back together and we are so proud of you. So proud that we could give you a hug. And because of your efforts, we might actually be able to do that. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Foxworth Theory. Be sure to join us for new shows every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel, and the shows are also available on the Harlem America Digital Network. We'll talk again next week.